0: Makama Yebazibwe? Amina. you say Amina? Makama Yebazibwe? Amina. Amina. Can you say that? Ready together? Amina. Very good. You can tell I'm not a music director by what I did right there. But now uh, uh, praise the Lord. What a joy to be with you guys here in Atlanta. That's where I am, right? Atlanta? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what a joy it is to be with you at Shane's Church. Thanks for allowing me to come. And, uh, and bless you guys, I pray. My desire is to come and just encourage you guys in the Lord. Is that all right? All the way to Uganda, from Uganda, just to come and encourage you in the Lord. And I pray that that'll be the case. As you saw from the video, uh, we live in Uganda, Africa. When I say we, that is myself, my wife. This is my wife right here, Danielle. You can wave, honey. <laughs> and then I have my, my two older children back here. Emma, wave, Emma. This is Emma. Stand up, honey, just so they can see you. Just cause. Do you a dance for it? No, just kidding. Uh, and then, uh, and Elisa, where are you, sweetie? Here's Alisa. And then I have two of my boys here, and one is asleep right down there. So uh, there's my kids. In Uganda, they're easier to recognize because pretty much they're all standing out. But uh, here, only one stands out, two stand out. But anyhow. but. Uh, what a joy it is to, to be with you all. In Uganda, we live in a rural village, and uh, deep, deep in the bush, and we did that intentionally because we wanted to put a Bible school, and we felt doing a Bible school in the bush is better because most of the people live in a village setting, and, uh, and so with that, we decided to move very deep, and, and with that, we wanted to establish a church, so we began to think, how in the world can we establish a church? Well, we came up with a strategy. I believe if we want impact for kingdom purposes, it doesn't just happen by standing behind a pulpit. It happens by coming up with a strategy and engaging the community. And that's what we began to do as we began to engage our community. Our community were a bunch of drunkards. Uh, it was like a, it was a very um, neglected community, kind of like a trailer park community, because it was war torn and the things and things like that. So we went into this village and we came up with three strategies to reach them. One was activities. Just engage in the community. And so that's what we began to do. And with that, we came up with the medical. Began to just love them by taking, doing, coming alongside their medical needs. And what I mean by that, there's many people in Africa that have problems, challenges. Maybe they fall out of a tree and they break their arm. Well, can you imagine going an hour's drive. I don't know how long that would be walking to try and take care of that arm. Well, that's what happens in the African context. So we decided let's try and help their emergency needs. And so we'd take them up, pick them up in our car and we would drive them there to love them and care for them. And then with that, then we've just recently started a primary school where we are taking all the kids from our community, kids that are Muslim, Seventh-day Adventists. Catholic, all the like, and we're taking them and putting them in a primary school where we're educating them, and from that, as the video says, we've been able to reach our community for Christ, and, and uh, we've been in this particular village for four years, and as a result, the, the community was filled with drunkenness, promiscuity, and all that comes with alcohol, and uh, with that, we've been able to completely see our village transformed, and people truly become born again throughout our whole village. And and when we say we have a 100 people, adults in our church, these are adults who've been discipled in the gospel and are, are hungry to learn and to grow. And so these families that were shattered are now coming back together. Start, husbands are loving their wives. They're starting to parent their children. And we're seeing this total transformation in our little village in the middle of Uganda, Africa. And now we have a, a model church. And with that, it, it's a model, hopefully, for a training center which we're trying to put up for the Baptist Union in Uganda. The Lord has allowed it so that I can ha- that so that I have a strong, strong relationship with the Baptist Union, and ultimately they're allowing me to have vision in strengthening them. And we started off with conferences, and from those conferences, I started going with the the leaders, visiting all of their churches, and uh, and with that, they're like this. White guy actually will come down and visit us and show us love. Come to our villages and we began to do that for the last three years. We've been villaging, going to their villages just to visit them and encourage them and love them. And uh, and with that, it's just won their hearts. They're like, this guy actually does love us. He doesn't just talk about about love. He actually gets down on the ground and loves us. And 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 with that, they've allowed me to come and now talk in terms of uh, restructuring the Baptist Union in Uganda and things of this nature. And, and so with that, uh, the union is allowing me to aid them in reforming and restructuring the whole union there in Uganda. And so we're coming up with strategies along with them to how we can strengthen them. I wanna, there, there's an existing structure in the Baptist Union in Uganda, and I want to see that structure strengthened. Uh, I believe sometimes in my circles, what we do is we we withdraw from those who don't see eye to eye with us perfectly. Well, in Africa, they, they don't see eye to eye because they don't even know the Bible. So with that, I've wanted to try and come alongside them and say, hey, let's let me just love you for who you are, and, and let's let's try and we all have the same goal to have strong, stable churches, and so with that, we're able to build up this whole denomination to that end. Does that make sense? So that's a little of what we're doing in Uganda. I have uh, six managers that work with me. And there's about 30 people in Uga- Ugandans that work alongside me to aid these ministries. But, you know, ultimately for us in Uganda, the question is one, how do we disciple and, and reach our community for Christ? And then from that, how do we strengthen churches? And that's what we're ultimately about in Uganda. So in two minutes, I wanted to try and describe our whole entire ministry. So, uh, you may not understand, but please we uh, look up, get some brochures. You can go on our website as well. You can get our updates and different things like that. And we'll explain what we do more. But uh, what I wanted to do is not come here to really sell myself, not come here to sell my ministry. Uh, my prayer is that as I engage, you know, various people, as I just share my heart, that the Lord will do those things and will allow him to do that. I came here really to strengthen and encourage you guys. and uh, And that's Largely because of the fact that, uh, you know, missions is only as good as America. Missions worldwide is only as good as America because you support us. And, uh, and so with that, we need to strengthen you there so that you can continue to strengthen missions worldwide. And I love the fact that you guys have a pastor that is missions minded and is zealous for kingdom purposes. And I even see uh, my brother here, another missionary who loves this church and is committed to this church. And, uh, and I praise the Lord for this, these efforts. And as well, in talking with Shane, you begin to see God doing some incredible things in this church, and you begin to wonder, okay, why? Why is he doing incredible things? Well, we would know that it's ultimately for missions, right? Either missions in this community or missions worldwide. Ultimately, it's to meet the, reach this community for Christ, and so it gets exciting. So I want to come and encourage all us missionaries. Is that okay? Is that okay? Yes. Now, you have to understand something about me. I'm from Uganda. So with that, we interact a little bit. So uh, like when I say, like, is that okay? You say, yes. and, and then I know you're awake. And you know, when I preach, I don't let anybody sleep. So, you know, I want to know you're awake so, and following me. So follow along by just responding. But I want to come and I want to encourage all of us. And the reason I want to encourage us is because I realize what it is to live Christianity in America. The reality is it's difficult. It's hard. And one reason it's hard is because of the fact that, that we we begin to look at all the Christians around us and we begin to compare ourselves. And we realize that we are actually a little weird, we're a little bit radical, a little bit crazy, right? And we start thinking is something wrong with me? When in reality, nothing is wrong with you. Everything is right with you. But the challenge is, is, we are tempted to think that we are weird. And the temptation of the Christianity around us is really to try and get us to think that we are weird. Because the Christianity around us, they tell us to not be too radical, but to stay balanced, right? But the reality is, <laughs> thank you, brother. The reality is, is that Christianity is radical. Christianity is radical. Before I even get into the message at hand, I want to tell you that I was a businessman for eight years. While I was in seminary, I was in the toy business, manufacturing toys throughout the country of which you probably at home have one of my toys. I won't get into my testimony. I'll save that for another time. But the reality, but, but, but uh, I was in the business world and I learned what business was like. Enjoyed business immensely. But I always knew that the Lord called me to missions. Uh, not missions, but to, to preach and to proclaim the truth. And, and as I began to pursue what God would have for me, he led me to Uganda. And on the flight over to Uganda, he brought me to a passage and that passage is Hebrews 11. So open your Bibles to Hebrews 11 because this is the passage he brought me to and I want to share it with you because this became the fuel that motivated me to consider the reality of Uganda. So what I want to do this this evening is I want to remind you people here, you missionaries here, because we're all missionaries, amen? I want to remind you missionaries of Who you are. I want to remind you of who you are. And I want to do that because that's what the writer does here in Hebrews chapter 11. Actually, the context comes starting in in chapter 10, verse 39. What he does in verses 38, 39 is he reminds us who we are. Then in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, he, chapter, 1, chapter 11, verse 1, he defines who we are. Then he illustrates who we are throughout the remainder of this chapter. And I want to let you know that just to show you how this idea of super Christians and normal Christians have permeated our thinking, we come to this passage and we think Hebrews 11 is talking about the heroes of the... And let me tell you, that answer is uh, wrong. This is not talking about super Christians. This is not talking about heroes of the faith. This is talking about who you and I are. That's the whole point of the passage. He's talking about who you and I are to be. You see, every single one of our lives can be added to the end of this chapter. And that's the whole point of the text I want to show you by showing you his, his, his flow. Look with me in chapter 10, verse 11. He reminds first reminds us who we are, then he defines, and then he illustrates. First, let me show you really quickly the reminder. Look with me in verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not those who what? We are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of our souls. He reminds us very clearly, friends, that we are people of faith. We are people of? That's who we are. That's who you are. That's who I am. We are people of faith. We are not those who shrink back. We are not those who run from the faith. You see, these people here were tempted to run from from Christianity back to Judaism. And he says, listen, that's not who we are. Uh uh. We're people of faith. We don't run back, we run forward because we're people of faith to the preserving of our souls. That's the reminder. And then from that basic idea, he goes into Hebrews 11. You see the first word now. Now it's, he's continuing on the thought. This is who you are. Now let me tell you, if we're people of faith, let me define who that, what that is. And he defines for us in verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Definition one. It's the assurance. It's the conviction. It's the confidence in things. What? Hoped for. We have this burning confidence in things that are hoped for, like heaven. Amen. Amen. There's a deep-seated, inward confidence, inward uh, reality in us that says, "This heaven will happen. We have a confidence in things hoped for. And secondly, we have a conviction for things what? Awesome. Not seen. He defines who we are. We're people of faith. That is that we have this deep-seated confidence in things hoped for, and we have this conviction in things, what? Not seen. One example I'd give you, he gives here, is we believe that God created the world. How many believe that? You guys believe that? I mean, were you guys here when he created the word? How many were here? You know the one who was. But were you here? And And you believe that? You see, what would make us believe it? What would give us that confidence? It's God. Because God gives us faith. And therefore, when he gives us this faith, he plants within us this conviction in things we've never seen. We know he created the world. We know he created the universe because he put that confidence in us. Amen? Amen. That's why it says that though we have not seen him, we believe. Any of us seen Jesus? No. But we believe him with a deep inward confidence. That's because that's what faith is. And we are people of faith. What he does from there, and I'm rushing to get to this part of it, is he illustrates who we are. He illustrates who we are by taking life after life after life after life and showing us who we are as believers. He goes from defining it to illustrating it through a number of lives. And what I've done as I have taken those lives and I've pulled out five characteristics that are clearly seen in these lives for who we are. Five characteristics for what a Christian is or what a person of faith is. And if you're a Christian here today, this will define you. And I want you to see that with me. So come with me and let's look at these five and again, what I've done is I have looked at all these lives and I've pulled out characteristics of these lives for us to look at so that you can evaluate how you're doing. Is this you? And I, what I, my prayer is is that you can say, okay, this is what a Christian is. And you won't be deceived. You'll say, okay, then I'm doing right. I'm not crazy. First characteristic of a Christian or a person of faith. Are you Ready? Are you ready? First characteristic of a Christian or person of faith is a Christian or a person of faith is one who confidently lives in light of the word of God. It's someone who confidently lives in light of the word of God. Look with me in Hebrews 11 verse 7. It says this, by faith, Noah being warned by, Shane, we're going to have to discipline your, your congregation. Just kidding. Noah being warned by who? God. Being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. First, one of the examples he gives here is Noah. And you can imagine Noah. Here's Noah in the middle of a dry land, and he is told by God that he's going to send a flood, right? So Noah is here in the middle of this dry land building a boat. Not a small boat, but this like monster boat. You ever think how crazy that would be? Here he, how did Noah get the wood for that boat? You ever think about that? Most likely he had to chop it down. Most likely he had to use his own resources to buy that wood. Most likely he's going and he, I don't know if he's chopping it down or he's, he's purchasing it, but you can imagine how crazy that is. And he's bringing all this wood to build this boat, and everybody's looking and going, ah, <laughs> Look at this guy, he's crazy. What in the world is he doing? Can you imagine? Say, what in the world motivated Noah? What motivated him? He said, it says very clearly he was warned by God. What motivated him is the word of God. That's what motivated him. That's what drove him. That's what led him to do all that he did. How about Abraham? Look with me in verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he had received for an inheritance and he went out not knowing what, not knowing where he was going. Now, some people say I was, I'm pretty crazy when I went back to my wife and I said, honey, we're going to Africa. Africa. But at least I knew where I was going. <coughs> Here's Abraham. You can imagine going over to his wife and saying, hey, honey, let's go. She looks at him and says, well, go where? Or where are we? Well, I don't know. That doesn't go over too well. <laughs> but he didn't know where he was going. But what, what motivated him? He was called by God. God. God spoke and said, Abraham, go here. And he trusted and believed that word. Same is true for Sarah. Look with me in verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. She was able to conceive beyond time because she considered him faithful who had promised. She was able to conceive because she believed and trusted in the promised word. You'd say the same of all these individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them. Joseph, who said, take my bones back. What would make him say, take my bones back from Egypt to Israel? Because he knew He was going back. He knew what God's word said and God's word motivated him and drove him and led him. My friends, we as Christians, we are led by this word. We are driven by this word. This is who we are. This drives us. All these men lived in light of these promises. They all lived in light of this book. They all, they, they, they all were driven by the words of God. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what was ahead of them, they lived and walked by faith, trusting in God. That's why we say when we send our youth to campuses will know whether they're believers by what comes out if they trust in this and stand above all criticisms. We'll know that they are his, right? My friends, this book is not a book to just be studied. It is a book to be lived out. It is a book to be put to the test. This Bible drives our lives. Our whole life is lived Around these pages, I remember graduating from seminary, going to Uganda, and getting, uh, feeling like I need to go to Uganda. I went there. When I got there, I was given an opportunity to go and train and pa- train pastors. And I thought to myself, Who's going to go? Who's going to train these guys? And if nobody, if there's thousands of pastors in America, who's going to go to Uganda? These people are hungry for truth and, and longing for it. who's going to go and take it. I thought to myself, I have to go. And I remember walking up the plane, looking around outside in Africa and thinking, what in the world am I about to do? What in the world? This is crazy. I remember going and sitting back in my plane seat as we took off and began to fly and you begin to think, oh my goodness, what is going on? I remember looking at my Bible and thinking to myself, do I really believe this book is true? You can imagine graduate from the master's seminary asking myself, do I really believe this book to be true? But you see, I knew that everything I was about to do, leave my great job, move to the middle of some uh, place in Africa was crazy. But there was only one thing that motivated me and it was the words of God. Because I know it's true. I must get it out. Amen? And this drove me and drives me to this day. There's only one reason I am in Africa. It's because I believe this book is true. I believe that people around me are going to hell. And they must know the truth. They must have the righteousness of Christ. Or they will die in their sin. So it drives and it motivates. Talking to Shane beforehand, I said, Shane, go alongside the missionaries that are driven. If they were here in the States, they'd they'd be going after souls because those are the ones you want to support. And I wonder if we're those kinds of people. Do we live in light of this truth or is it something we just take along with us? Something we just quote on Sundays? Or is it what drives us? Is it who we are? Is it driving everything we do? That's what true Christians do. They don't just know it. They live it and are driven by it. Amen? There's a second characteristic of a Christian that we see found in the pages of Hebrews 11. The second characteristic of a Christian or a person of faith is they live for heaven. They live for heaven. If we look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah, we see this example. Look with me. Hebrews 11, verse 9, it says, By faith he lived, that is Abraham, he lived as an alien in the land of promises in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, which architect and builder is God. Look with me in verse 13, in Verse 14 going to verse 13, all these died in faith with having received the promise, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out they would have had opportunity to return but verse 16 says this but as it is they desire a better country that is a what heavenly one they desired the god prepared city heaven itself look again at Moses in verse 26 it says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. What drove the men of old was the city which God was preparing, the riches of heaven, not the riches of this earth. That's what drives Us as believers. That's what drove Christ. He looked to the joy set what? Before him. Therefore he endured the cross. He despised the shame. See friends. This is not our home. We're pilgrims here. My friends if this is my home. Then I'm leaving Africa tomorrow. Right? But this isn't my home. I'm in a tent baby. My home is coming. My home is heaven. That's my home. That's what I live for. That's why it says in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is where? Is where? In heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 6.19, we do not store up ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy. Where thieves break in and steal. But rather we seek first his and his righteousness. That's what drives us. His kingdom, his righteousness. We live for heaven. Heaven is our home. See, as a businessman, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be a businessman. When I was in the toy business, I was flying here, there, everywhere. I'd be home a week, gone. Home a week, gone. It was crazy. The Lord was blessing, so we had to make it happen. And I figured I'd just ride the wave. And you know, it was so difficult. And I began to ask myself God, what does it mean to be a God fearing businessman? What does that mean? What I did when the Lord opened up Uganda, I began to say, okay, I believe you blessed this business for Uganda, and I began to just take and send my money there, send it there. If God did it for this, then I'm going to send it there. And what I learned was the more money I made, the more I can send it to ministry, and I became impassioned to work as a businessman, because every sale I made went toward kingdom ministry, and I became invigorated, and though I was in the business world, I was in missions, I was driven to make as much money as I can for kingdom purposes. You see, we have separated the sacred from the secular, right? But really, they are in harmony with one another. But we have to believe this, that it might motivate us in the decisions we make with our day-to-day jobs that's what it was for me. I'm not saying that's what it is for everybody. For me, to, it was to, to be radical. The more I was radical, the more I was generated with a passion to be a successful businessman. For my wife, it, it's to be a godly wife who trains up godly children who live for heaven. It's not all of us becoming pastors. But rather, it's all of us using our professions as vehicles to advance the glory of God and the gospel. Amen? Friends, we aren't just people who live in light of this book. We live also for heaven. We live for heaven. Just the other day, we buried one of the boys that we had discipled and had come to faith in Uganda. He came to us with a heart problem. His stomach was out to hear because his heart was was leaking fluids, and they had heard that we'd help, so we took him in, and we began to take him to the the hospital. We realized he had a heart condition that was uh, not repairable, so we began to pump him with the gospel. And He says that today that God gave me a bad heart, that he might give me a new heart. And that's it. The day you stand at his grave and everybody weeps like babies, you stand there and say, this boy right here is in heaven today because we went with the gospel. See, that's what it's about. It's heaven, not this world we live in. Third characteristic of a Christian is a Christian is someone who abstains from sin. We see this again by the life of Moses in verse 24. It says by faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing rather to endure ill treatment, he chose ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of what? Sin. He didn't live for sin because he knew they were passing. He chose to remove sin instead this is preached on so much so i don't want to kill it to death but i want to say this if you're a christian and you are engaged in a lifestyle of sin my friend you are just fooling what yourself listen i know pornography i know all of these things but the question is do you believe that sin will satisfy or do you believe god will satisfy that's the question If you continue to believe that that sin will satisfy, my friend, you're not a believer. You have a sin problem. You are controlled by sin. And you are in need of a redeemer to come and set you free from that sin. The only way you can do that is go to your knees and cry out for a savior, amen? But see, as believers, we don't run to sin, we run from sin. And we even, we hate it. We don't want to watch what the world watches. We don't want to spend time on the internet and and watching movies that are are, are junk. We hate sin. That's who we are. We, we, We don't even like the presence of it. Fourth characteristic of a Christian or a person of faith Is a Christian or a person of faith chooses to suffer? A Christian or a person of faith chooses to what? Suffer. Look with me in verse 25 and 26 once again. It says that Moses chose what? Chose what? To endure what? Ill treatment. He what? He chose that? (laughs) He chose that? Yes. He chose ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin because he considered the reproach of Christ's greater riches. Friends, that's what he chose. That was his choice. He wasn't pushed into it. He willingly chose it. Verses 36 says this follow along with me. It says, And others were experiencing mockings and scourgings, yes, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being desolate, afflicted, ill treated men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. That's what men have chosen throughout the history of this world. They've all chose suffering, See, our culture says just the opposite. Our culture is actually enslaved to protecting ourselves from suffering. We live actually for security, we live for health and safety. For the moment we're born, we are bombarded with every mother magazine, health and safety, health and safety, health and safety. And we begin to think that spirituality is actually somehow surrounded around health and safety. To do anything in the Middle East would be absolutely crazy. When people hear you're moving to Africa, they're saying, are you serious? I mean, you are a lunatic. My own immunization woman, I forget what she's called, she came several times Saying, are you sure you want to do this? We're like, yes. Later, she calls us at home and says, I just want you to know the amount of diseases and parasites that are in Africa. Are you sure? We're like, ma'am, we're sure. But You see, we choose suffering. That's who we are. That's what we choose for the sake of the kingdom, the sake of the gospel. We choose it. We choose to live in smaller homes so that we can give to others. We choose to stay up late to bear the burdens of others. We choose to be disliked so that others can hear the truth. We choose not to watch TV and enjoy the entertaining things of this world so that we could study the Word of God. We choose to suffer. We're not crazy, we're driven. We're driven that others might know this book. We're driven that others might understand and come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what drives us. Let me tell you, there are missionaries all across this world that go uh, go to another country, live in those main cities, and hide. And hide, afraid to go out and get a disease. Afraid to go out of their comfort zone and, and they, because then they're always bombarded by health and safety, health and safety. Listen, read the old biographies. Were they concerned with those things? No. See, we aren't radical because we're afraid. But Christians choose to suffer. That's what we do. I'm not saying that we just go out, hey, let me just go, you know, get shot by some Muslim brotherhood, you know. We're wise as serpents, harmless as doves, right? But we are not ashamed of the for it is the power of God to what? And we're driven with it. Amina. The fifth characteristic of a Christian or a person of faith is they live a radical and exciting life. They live a radical and exciting life. Let me explain what I mean. Look with me in verse 29. Verse 29, it says this, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, they were drowned. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Verse 32, what more can we say? For time will fail if I tell you of Gideon, and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms and performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises and shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Say, Shannon, what do you mean? By radical, what I mean is our lives are radical in that we do not do what the natural man would ever do. We don't do what the natural man would ever do. The natural man would never leave a good business and move to Africa. A natural man would never build a boat in the middle of a dry land, right? The natural man would never leave and go to a, 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 a some place and they don't even know where they're going. The natural man would never pray by a window and be, with the threat of being thrown in the lion's den. And the natural man would never not bow down to a statue for fear of being thrown into a fiery furnace, right? We would never do that. Someone who's a Christian would, because we are radical. We do what the natural man would never do. We stand on our campuses, regardless of any ridicule. That's what we do. Because we're radical. What do you mean by exciting? Our lives are exciting in that we see God do what is humanly impossible. We see God do what is humanly impossible. You imagine you being told to go to war, and the war strategy is walk around Jericho seven times. So you're walking around Jericho thinking this is absolutely the worst war strategy ever. You can imagine them sitting on the walls, and forgive me for standing on your chair, and they're looking down in there saying, what is this, these freaks doing? What's going on? But let me tell you, when they came around that seventh day, seventh time on that seventh day, and those walls came f- flying down, you know what happened? These things came down, and what did they do? That's what they did. They celebrated. Whoa! Oh, can, can you believe that? Oh my goodness! That's what happened. It was exciting. They saw what God, they saw the supernatural, they saw God do unbelievable things. What happened when Daniel goes to the lion's den? He goes, he gets thrown in, he pets lions all day night. What happens when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire furnace? They chilled there with Christ himself. Amazing. They see, they have an exciting life because they see God do what is humanly impossible. Sometimes I wonder if we don't see God do great and incredible things because we don't live great lives of faith. Some people look at my vision for Uganda and think, Shannon, that's awfully big. That's the work of an army. My friends, listen, we do. We're motivated when we see the need, we cannot just turn our backs. Isn't that what faith is all about? How can we look somebody in need and then turn our backs on it? We need to rise up and we need to answer. If somebody came to your home front door and they were their leg was cut off, would you just close the door and ignore them? Huh? No. Because as a person, you've got to do something. You've got to respond in love and care and compassion, right? See, sometimes what we do is we think it's too difficult. That's too much of a task. My friends, I don't think it's too much. God will supply our every need. My friends, the Bible that I read says that, that the Lord looks to and fro throughout the earth to support those whose hearts are what? Completely His. See, the world, and let me just say it this way, Satan wants us to think that there are super-Christians and then there are everybody else. But I would suggest you the Bible that I read says there's only one type of believer, one that is a super-Christian. So I want to encourage you, don't live half-baked, Live who you are. Live radical for the kingdom. Friends, live in light of this book. Friends, live for heaven. Friends, choose to suffer. Friends, run from sin. Friends, live radical and exciting lives. Run for the Lord. And that's his next message, right? Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin and encumbrances, and let us what? Run. That's not to super-Christians, that's to all of us. In light of the way those who ran before us, you do the what? Same. There's no super-Christians. There's just real Christians. And where do you stand? What controls and drives you? The Spirit of God and the Word of God? Or Sin? Father, I come just rejoicing in the joy and privilege of opening your word, the clarity that is there. Father, we have been so deceived. We have believed the lie that Christians are not those surrendered, but we know all those to whom you've redeemed, you've transformed. And I pray that this would be a message that would motivate my brothers and sisters here to live out who they are. We love you and praise you and look to you. Through your Son we pray. Amen.